Tonight's reading is going to be from Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will be appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father God, please would you give us faith to see ourselves and others as you see us and to treat one another as you have treated us. For the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to lockdown 2.0. All of the same frustrating restrictions, just none of the bright sunny weather. Yay! Aren't we all excited about that? Now, lockdown, I think, has reminded us that we desperately need other people. We are relational beings, and it just hurts to be cut off from others. It's no surprise the Office of National Statistics says that those suffering um, moderate to severe depression, the numbers have doubled this year. 
those reporting severe anxiety or critical anxiety, it's up to 19 million reporting that now. We're relational people. But by the same token, Remembrance Day has reminded us that as much as we need other people, well, we're not always very good at relating to other people when they are there. Warfare is just the most extreme example of this. Uh, but we mistrust and we think the worst of those who are not like us, whether it's the people who are different because of their skin color or their political beliefs. And we don't need to look very far into our own families, our own communities, and our own friendship groups to find bitter division and unforgiven past wrongs. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, it shines like a beautiful, brilliant light into this darkness of our divided world. Uh, Jesus died to bring us peace with God. And Colossians 3, 12 to 17, the, the, the central bit of that passage, the end of it that we looked at just now as Humphrey read it, it shows us that peace with God brings the power for peace with other people. Peace with God brings the power for peace with one another. And so as followers of Christ, you could summarize it this way. We are called to know Christ's power in you, to see Christ's presence in others, and so love them. Know Christ's power in ourselves, see Christ's presence in others, and so love them. Love them deeply, wholeheartedly, sacrificially. Firstly, though, uh, think, love, and live. Uh, think, live, and love consistently with who you are. Now, the train of thought so far in Colossians 3 has been uh, verses 1 to 4. Look, if you trust in Jesus Christ, your old life has been buried with him, and you now share in Jesus' new life. And that both obliges and empowers us to live radically different lives. We're to think, to live, and to love consistently with who we now are in Christ. Now, last week in verses 5 to 11, we looked at the negative of putting off our sinful desires and behaviors. And this week, we now see the positive. Paul paints a picture of what does it look like when a whole community of people get who they are in Jesus Christ and treat one another appropriately. And it's a beautiful picture. Now, again, the new behavior flows from the new identity. What we do comes out of who we are. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, etc. In the light of what God has done for you, do this for others. Actually, though, it is helpful to start a tiny bit further back. At verse 11, the end of the previous passage that we looked at last week, is also the beginning of, of this section. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is it in all. In other words, all the old identities and distinctions that we, we, do to, we, we rely on to, to mark ourselves out from others and, and to put them down and to exclude them, whether it's white, black, straight, gay, male, female, professional, working class, Brexit, Remain, Democrat, Republican, whatever it is. It's as if these, these identities, they matter, but they're, they're like torchlights. And Jesus Christ is the blazing sunshine, just eclipses everything else. But verse 11, importantly, is not just a look in the mirror verse. It's not just a verse telling you, if you trust in Jesus, this is who you are. It's also a verse that should radically change how we look at other people. 
You know, we're tempted when we look around in church to see the surface identities, there, the things that mark people out as like me or, or not like me, other. Uh, but the reality of the gospel is Christ is all and is in all. Our differences lend a wonderful diversity to our community, but they cannot, they must not divide us because the truth at the heart is far deeper, that Christ is in the other people you see. Now, Paul focuses here on, on how we then are to think about and relate to other people at church. It's not because we have no obligation to love people outside church. The Bible's clear. They're made in the image of God, whoever they are, whatever they believe, and so we're to love everybody. But the point here is that church is to be a community that should demonstrate the difference it makes to have this new life in Christ. As you look in and see a whole bunch of people who know that they're in Christ, what does it look like when people start treating each other in that way? And what we see, uh, firstly, verses 12 to 14, is that we're to love as you've been loved by Christ. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As people who are chosen by God, holy in God, dearly loved by him, we're to clothe ourselves. In other words, we're to put on these behaviors this compassion, this gentleness, this kindness. And now the word for compassion is particularly striking. It comes from the, the, the Greek word for the churning of your innards, splanks and am I. And it doesn't mean you should have an involuntary bowel movement when you hear somebody at church is having a bad week, but it does mean it actually should move me. It should hurt me when I hear that one of my brothers or sisters is hurting. It's a powerful word. We should feel it deeply. Kindness and humility. Now, compassion feels the pain of others. Kindness does something to relieve the pain of others, uh, to ease their burdens, lift their day. Quite often it's those seemingly little things, the, the written cards, the spoken comments, the unrequested brownies, the, the meal left on the doorstep. Those things that show we care for others, that we love them and want to make things better. Now, if kindness is, well, it's basically a Christ-like attitude to others, then humility is a Christ-like attitude towards myself. It, it's not sort of groveling self-loathing. Rather, it's the attitude that does not think my needs are the most important needs in the world, and my voice is the voice that everybody needs to hear. Humility puts others ahead of me. They come first. They matter more. And so while humility is, is about my attitude to myself, obviously it has an enormous impact on how I treat other people and what the community feels like. Gentleness. Uh, gentleness, it's not weakness. Far from it. It takes enormous strength to, to not be harsh or impatient when other people are enormously frustrating, as all of us are from time to time. Patience. 
It's about not being easily angered, not having a short fuse, whether it's driving the car or uh, dealing with stress at work or relating to housemates or spouse or children. Christians should not be known for flying off the handle at any provocation. And that leads to, to verse 13, which is about how we treat others when they disappoint or hurt us. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Bear with one another and forgive one another, which is utterly ridiculous and improbable without the next statement. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The, uh, at the end of 1998, Mas uh, NASA launched the Mars Climate Orbiter. We've got a picture of it somewhere. It was a possible prelude to a manned expedition to the Red Planet. There it is. But an engineer bogged up the trajectory calculations and $327 million of state-of-the-art scientific, instrument, scientific instruments and whatever else went and crashed into the Red Planet. Oops. Bit of a boo-boo, that one. Now, imagine the engineer apologizes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've ruined everything we've been planning for for 20 years and $327 million is whoosh, and they're told that's all right we all make mistakes and so the engineer he or she goes home and when they get home their their child is very pleased to see them and zooms out on their scooter and scratches the car causing $50 worth of damage now I don't know whether that engineer would have been a patient kind of a person I don't know how they would normally have responded to a $50 scratch on their car. But if you've just been forgiven $327 million, I'm thinking that you're probably going to find it a bit easier than usual to say, that's all right, that's okay. Our debt of sin to God is infinite. And we will never forgive others the amount that God has forgiven us. So how then, having been forgiven an infinite debt, can I demand payment from others when they have wronged me? Now, it is important to say that forgiving is not the same as restoring a relationship. That requires the participation of the other person. It requires them to repent before I can restore the relationship with them. Forgiving is a step towards that. Forgiving is about letting go of my desire to punish. And it's very hard indeed. But actually the alternative to forgiving, the alternative to what Paul calls for here in Colossians 3 is a whole lot worse. Uh, I read some excerpts from the autobiography of Barbara Emil, who was uh, the wife of Conrad Black, the newspaper uh, tycoon who was uh, jailed for fraud a number of years ago. And she wrote about the experience of being ditched and betrayed by former friends when he fell from grace. And she wrote these, uh, these words. She said, for me, soon to be 80, the only revenge would be to see our persecutors guillotined. I've worked out 1,001 ways to see them die, beginning with injecting them with Ebola and watching. Can you imagine how bitter and miserable an existence that must be? Spending your days consumed with a thirst for revenge, thinking how you want your enemies to suffer and die. As hard as forgiveness is, it's better than being consumed by that. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, some of us have been deeply wronged, tuning in here, I imagine, and you bear deep scars. And this forgiveness may be a very slow, painful process, a daily battle not to be consumed by bitterness. 
Others of us, though, I think we've probably got into a consumer mindset where we, we ditch friends who fail us, and we've become a little too adept at standing up for our rights, a little bit too concerned to make sure we're seen to have been in the right, that they started it. And we need to care a lot more about honoring the God who is willing to go to hell to forgive our sins. Relationships matter. And so the gospel calls us not to walk away when it gets hard or we're let down, but to re-engage and to heal as God did with us. And in a world that is broken by endless warfare between nations and hostility between races and bitter distrust between political parties and unhealed divisions in families, well, when Christians in church forgive one another, a light comes on that shows there is hope for our dark world. Verse 14 concludes this section. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Uh, love is uh, pictured as the belt or the outer garment that holds them all together. In one sense, love should be the summary of our church community. It should be the, the dominant thing that people encounter when they spend time with us. So, um, you know, when new people join church or you go away on holiday with a bunch of church people and some, some friends who aren't Christians, you, you kind of want people to say, well, those Christians bit weird. They do go on about Jesus quite a lot, but there is no denying they really love each other. Now we see in these verses that holiness, becoming like God, is, it is undeniably corporate, relational. You cannot become more like Jesus while keeping church at arm's length. God is is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, loving, delighted, happy relationship. And we only grow more like God when we get involved in the family that God has brought us into, the church family. And so even in lockdown, we need to recognize that God has called us to be part of his family. And we must do everything we can to continue to reach out, to love, to serve. I guess for many of us, uh, the danger is that lockdown means we, we turn in on ourselves and we need to fight that temptation. Now, one practical example, no one, I don't know anybody who is thrilled at the thought of yet more Zoom calls. No one, no one goes to Zoom calls because they love Zoom. But can I, can I encourage you to, to make your midweek small group, we call them DG groups, discipleship groups, make it a priority to, to join the Zoom call each week. Because you're a relational being and actually you need them. And even if you don't feel like you need them, they need you. Grow more like Christ by committing to his people. Thirdly, lastly, live with Christ at the heart of everything. Now, verses 15 to 17 are about developing a culture where Christ Jesus is at the heart of absolutely everything. Look with me at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we haven't got time to look properly at the profound truths here, but the essential point is that a community will only be full of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and peace. It'll only be like that if Jesus is actively at work in the community. And Jesus works by power amongst us through his word. That's where his spirit works with power. And that's why the Bible needs to be at the heart of everything we do if we want Jesus to dwell richly amongst us. And if we want to see his virtues, his character growing in one another. Now, there's lots of clothing language in this passage, uh, putting off the old, putting on the new. And you'll notice it's active here in these verses, verses 12 to 17. Verse 12, put on. Verse 14, clothe yourselves. Verse 9, it was telling us, you have put off the old and you have put on the new. But this tells us we have a role to play, to put on, to clothe. Now, I guess over the next month, uh, some of us are barely going to make it out of our pajamas, if we're honest. Maybe brush the hair and stick on a, a shirt, or at least you know, something from here up for, for work Zoom calls. But other than that, it's pajama time. It's going to be a pretty, <laughs> a pretty slack month. It's a bit different, though, when you're going to go out and see people. Many of us put a lot of thought and effort into what we wear when we go out. Obviously not me, but uh, many of us do, and rightly so. Uh, we certainly wouldn't go out to work in our pyjamas or, or you know, go out to see friends stark naked. You just wouldn't do that. The police would have something to say if you did. I mean, you just don't do that. Well, Paul says, just as you wouldn't go out to work naked, don't go out into the day without clothing yourself, not with a merino wool jumper and some cotton jeans, but with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with forgiveness, with love, and with peace. How do you clothe yourselves with those things? Well, as we dwell on Jesus' word, his teaching, praying that these attitudes and qualities will grow in us, as we do that in each day, he is at work in us, helping us grow more like him. Church is God's model community. The new way of relating to others. If you like, it's, it's God's sales pitch to a divided, bitterly broken world. And so it really matters whether we love and forgive one another as a church family. Whether we live at peace with one another in spite of our differences and grievances. It speaks to the world. When we love those who don't deserve it. When we forgive those who've hurt us. When we display unity and peace across divides the world is struggling to bridge. Well, then we show that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope that our world needs. Today we honor and remember those who fought and died, who sacrificed everything to give us the freedoms we enjoy and, if we're honest, often take for granted. Men and women who fought bravely for a noble cause. But I want you to imagine something a little bit different as we close. I want you to imagine coming home from war but finding that your cause was not just. Imagine you were a young man who, who fought for the Nazis. You 
you signed up because, well, the country called for it and, and all your friends, they enlisted too, so, so you just got stuck in. But after years of brutal combat, you come back and it starts to emerge. You start to realize that your leaders were wicked, that you were fighting against those defending justice and goodness and truth. Can you imagine the shame and the relief to, to peel off those blood-stained, mud-spattered, lice-ridden uniforms with all the incriminating insignia and to, to wash the dirt of, of war off and to finally live in peace? Actually, that's the story of every human. We've been at war with God, the good, the true, the just, the pure God. And yet when we put our trust in God, Jesus Christ forgives us and washes us clean, pardons every atrocity we committed in our fight against God, and clothes us in his peace and his love. And here's the thing. When we fail to love others, when we nurture our grudges rather than forgive, it's as if we put on the old Nazi uniform top of our peacetime clothes. We need to remember who we are. We are in Christ. We're now at peace with God and with others. Our uniform is love. And as Christ soldiers, we wage war. Yes, we wage war against our own selfish, sinful desires. And we wage peace and love towards those in the world. We forgive. We serve. We're at peace. If you know Christ's forgiveness, then Colossians 3, by the, by the Holy Spirit, we're called to know Christ's power in you. See Christ's presence in others. And so love them deeply, sacrificially, wholeheartedly. Let me pray. Our Father God, we thank you that at great cost you have paid for peace with us. Help us, having been forgiven, to forgive, having been loved, to love. Father, please, would you make us agents of peace in our families, in our church, and in our nation. For the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray it. Amen.